Hello and welcome to Quad Trivia, the podcast that takes you a step beyond trivia and into the minds of the people who craft it. I'm Jeff with RMT Trivia in Chicago. I'm Jeremy with Liquid Courage Entertainment in Chicago. And I'm Jason, also with Liquid Courage Entertainment, also, also in Chicago. <laughs> uh, remember when we used to be geographically diverse, guys? That was always fun. But now at least there's no real arguments about what the best type of pizza is. Which obviously is tavern style pizza with a close second being deep dish pizza. Come at me. That is the most correct that answer can be. <sighs> remember, if you guys disagree with our pizza preferences, you're wrong. <laughs> you're, you're, enti- you're entitled to your wrong opinion, as I say. All right, it's, it's a free country. It's a free world that way. I think Neil Young taught us that, didn't he? I believe so. Or was it Buffalo Springfield at that? No. Hey, for what it's worth, Buffalo Springfield is a pretty decent band. Yeah. Well, which one? Because it was uh, David. Was David Crosby or was it Stills? I don't remember it was which. one of them. Yeah. It was Crosby, Stills, Nash or Young. I can tell was, you that. <laughs> yeah, the sample set is very, very low here. So, yeah, which of these guys from CSNY was in Buffalo Springfield? Hey, that's a multiple choice trivia question. <laughs> was that a was that a segue, Jason? Oh, God, it's way too early to do a segue. I just wanted to bullshit with you guys for a couple minutes. <laughs> like who who would try to segue us into the roundtable discussion a minute and a half into the episode, Corey? <laughs> episode 16 i'm like and i am not having this man we we, you know, we we have to ice break people we have to remind them uh that before we get real pedantic and and show our our dick moves as as trivia writers and hosts that we need to have fun we need to be playful <laughs> we need to put jeremy down three or four or 12 times whatever whatever's apropos yeah generally i think we should have a, a counter um so every time it hits you once we reach the threshold it's like it could probably hit a few more times because I know you guys, but at least we know we hit our quota. Yeah, don't don't give me a target to aim at, buddy. That's not going to be good for anybody here. This is like the piece well, I mean, of rare from me, Office so. Space, <laughs> right? Uh, let's let's bullshit about Mike Judge movies for a good three minutes uh, for no other reason than it's 2020, and I feel like one of his movies is absolutely uh, predictive, <laughs> and that film, of course, is Office Space. Yeah, what I found interesting, well, I shouldn't say what I found, what I learned later in life is that um, the whole flare joke that they had about the number of flare that they had to wear and stuff, mm-hmm. apparently uh, that was, uh, you know, that was, of course, based in reality, but apparently the them joking about it kind of made TGI because I believe it was TGI Fridays that Chachkis was based off. Yeah. Um they kind of realized this is maybe kind of a dumb thing to do. So we won't require that. So they literally changed company policy by making fun of the amount of flair that uh that the uh, characters had to wear. Nice. I did not know that. It makes a, a ton of sense, but that is really neat. You've have you written a question about that? Because you should. Not a bad you idea. Should. Yeah. No, I do I mean, remember that, though, going to Fridays like back in the mm-hmm. day and it was um, like they all had a whole bunch of like pins and stuff on. Mm-hmm. Um, what now, was the other one? Uh, Bennigan's uh, had uh, that, too, I think. The worst restaurant experience I ever had in my life was at a Bennigan's. Was it because you ordered something that wasn't the Monte Cristo? Because it's that's be- your first I ordered something in general. Uh, it took an hour and a half to get our, our food. And like Bennigan shut down months later. So this was absolutely towards the decline. But oh, like, yeah. uh, the soda machine was down and the server was taking forever to get back and forth. It was, it was and I, I have worked in the restaurant industry, in the bar industry as a server and as a bartender. 
for several years. It was, I think, the first time in my life I felt comfortable not tipping over 15% because the experience was just god-awful. Yeah. You know, and then the other side of that is, uh, also coming from the restaurant industry, I've had experiences like that where they're just super slow, like the kitchen's way backed up, they're taking forever to get to you, but the server was awesome. Right. Yeah. Um, and it, it's and a whole other thing if awesome. it's, you know, like a Friday night and their ticket times are backed up or whatever. You obviously you go in with an understanding that, hey, I'm not the most important person. This is like three o'clock on a Saturday or <laughs> something. It was it was off peak for sure. Yeah. It's three I o'clock mean, on a Saturday. Oh. <laughs> One of the good things I think about being a server is just that you have the ability to recognize, oh, I think my server is in the weeds. Maybe I'll take it easy on them mm. or. Like you, like you said, like ticket times are get the kitchens just getting hit left and right. So maybe I shouldn't yell and make the person whose life is already terrible more terrible. Yeah, yeah. It, don't be that guy. Obviously, yeah. Be, like from my time serving, there are definitely occasions where I've seen servers drop the ball, where they they're not paying attention, where they they take your order wrong, or. or you know, tons of different things like that. Like everybody can do a bad job and that's fine when you recognize that. But a lot of times uh, stuff that servers have to deal with isn't in their hands, you know, and taking it out on them. It's kind of like people yelling at like clerks for mm. having to wear masks. Like, I can't believe your boss is making me wear a mask. It's like, what am I going to do about it? I'm just running the register. Like, why you got to yell at that person? That's, that's my favorite Mike Judge movie of all time. Clerks. Thank you. <laughs> I'm trying to find the Mike <laughs> Judge joke in there because it's Kevin Smith. And maybe I'm being too literal now. Uh, we were making a Mike Judge reference like oh. two minutes ago. Where were you? No, but I'm I know we we're making a Mike Judge reference. These clerks in my mind went, but that's Kevin Smith. That's the joke. Thank you for having it explained. <laughs> These are the jokes. Like we need a Mike Jury and a Mike Executioner if we're going to keep going down this oh, road. God. With you, uh, remember what I said let's about Let's not go into that right be- now. Me always being appreciative of your puns. I take that very much back. <laughs> so that's a thing that happened. It is. And now seems like a wonderful time to get out of Icebreaker since all we're doing <laughs> is, is poking fun at 90s and early 2000s films and crappy chain restaurants. Well, since we're making movie <laughs> references, though, I will have to say, don't be a Mr. Pink. I had a question uh, in my game this week that that my wife, uh, who hosted a show for me live, love her, bless her, thank her. Uh, said was the hardest question of the game as far as she could tell. And it was basically using seven guesses, name all six colors that are represented by character names in Reservoir Dogs. And Blonde, as usual, uh, I think because it's not one that jumps to mind as a color word, is the one that tipped non-fans off the hardest. The the ones that people, you know, it's guessable, arguably, if you've never seen the movie, but Blonde does make it a real tough guess. Yeah. But that is a that is a particular question type that I like to use from time to time where I give you X guesses to name at least Y things. And that, my friends, is how you segue into our roundtable <laughs> discussion today. All about different types of questions, not just uh, what is the blank of blank and you write the answer and you hand it into your host. That's uh, just a free response style question. But there's a wide variety of ways that you can phrase a question, you can format a question, you can kind of subvert the ask and i want us to talk for a little bit about those differing question types uh jeremy lead us off 
Okay, so before the show, we put together a list of uh, different question types that we've all asked and written about for our shows. Um, at the top of the list, though, is one that we've been seeing more often, I would say, with all the online trivia uh, that's been going on since uh, COVID hit, uh, and that would be the multiple choice question. I feel like this is one of the most prevalent ones we've seen, so I thought we'd hit on it first. Um, it's probably the one that I think of uh, first when I think, okay, so... What kind of question types can you have? You can have people uh, type in their answer or, and the first thing that comes to mind, select their answer from a pre-existing set of options. So it, it just feels like the natural alternative to a standard pub trivia question. And yeah, to the point that you were uh, addressing with the online space, it is probably the easiest format to present because you don't have to tick around as a host with writing uh, variant answers that have to be automatically checked by a machine. The choice is either A, B, C, or D, and it's it's very binary. There's no middle ground in a multiple choice question because you as the writer have control over what the wrong answers are. So you can say for fact that only one of those answers can be right. Yeah, and there were a few um, trivia apps even before COVID hit, like a HQ, and I'm I'm blanking mm. on the other one. Um, the the one with like the the colored circle that was kind of like um, it would have the categories from uh, Trivial Pursuit on it. But, oh, I uh, remember that. One. I know um, which one you're talking about. I can't uh, remember the name of it. Bug or something like that. It, yeah, something uh, like that or. Uh, quiz fun or something. I don't know. I don't remember what it's called, but either way, like that was one that, uh, especially when apps and stuff started coming around for trivia, that was always right on the forefront because it's a lot easier to program for too. Like, you know, mm -hmm. the answer number one is a, the answer number two is C and then you just fill in the right answers in those spots. Um, when you're setting it up on the back end. So like I said, I, I think we're seeing a lot of that lately, especially now with uh, quiz kits out there. Um, Triv now has the option built in when you're writing mm -hmm. your show. But yeah, I think it's one of the easier ones to kind of lean into, too, because like Jason said, there's not as much arguing that can go on unless you accidentally put the other right answer that you didn't know about in that uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. in that question yeah. set or the answer My, set. The, the two stumbling blocks that I have when I do this in real life um, are uh, game theory, just which of the because generally it's between four, almost always, I should say it's between four. Um, sometimes more, sometimes less, but almost always A, B, C, or D, you know, does it, you know, do I always put it in the third spot? You know, like how often do I move the, the correct answer to a different slot? Right, um, right. And, you know, I granted, there's no real way to know that you're right about that, but you know, the game theory aspect of it, I don't want to ask like two multiple choice questions in one game and have the right answer in the same place on both. Um, but what I like about TrivNow is that when you uh, ask a multiple choice question, it randomizes the order that they come in. So you're not even, it, it changes for everybody. It's just, here's your four answers, which of these four is correct. So mm. you're not even in control of it. And then the other thing that I always worry about when crafting my own multiple choice questions, and one of the first things that I see uh, done if, if I'm being, uh, uh, if I'm critiquing another question, is uh, in multiple choice, it's hard to write a good selection of possible answers that either doesn't make the question impossible or doesn't make it too simple. Like hitting that mark of all four of these are plausible. And if you know the answer, it might help you get to the right one. You know, I'm not above throwing one of them out, like as a joke, like in the office, where it's like, uh, did they meet at college or toothbrush? You know, like just throw <laughs> one stupid one in there. Um, 
but giving the teams a good selection of possible answers that are all plausible makes the question uh, less of a guess, you know? So as long as uh, those things aren't things I have to worry about, I don't mind asking multiple choice questions too often. But yeah, I it, try, I'll go ahead. I would say usually uh, with that too, as a team, uh, sometimes it helps to work it out because uh, no matter what, you have a 25% chance of getting on, say there's four. I mean, depending, we'll just go with four as the example. Um, but then if you can take it away, you know, like, okay, I know it's not this one. Now you've got a 33% chance of getting it right. Um, okay. Somebody else yeah. table goes, no, I know it's not this one because that actually fits with this, which is a similar thing. And I can see why they threw it in there, but it's not right. Now at least you got a 50, 50. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. To get it right. So um, I think it gives some leeway to the teams and there's no chance of having some crazy answer because they have to choose from four. Mm -hmm. um, although sometimes with the uh, open ended questions, uh, you know, the normal trivia question where you just write in the answer, um, it, it, there's really no room for a joke answer with which kind of sucks. Yeah. But at the same time, it's, you know, like I said, it makes the game go smoother, I think. Oh, for I sure. Can, I can give you guys my kind of philosophy on multiple choice questions as somebody who regularly incorporates them in my games. And, you know, I can speak for for Jeremy's inclusion for that since I pay him to do it. Uh, <laughs> I, I like putting in my standard rounds and my standard 10 question rounds. I, I like putting one multiple choice question in. And the primary reason is I want you random pub trivia goer who's never been to my show before uh, or who isn't an expert at a particular subject matter to have a stabbing chance at at least one of the questions. So I narrow down the possibility space. I actually do uh, three question or three option, multiple choice questions kind of as a rule. Uh, and to, to a point that you had made earlier that I, I want to jump back on real quick, Jeff, uh, something that is absolutely to be taken into consideration, like you said, is the game theory aspect. And my best workaround mm -hmm. as a writer for that is put all the answers in either alphabetical order or in some kind of joke order. Like oh, if I go. was if I was going to ask you the occupation of Sam from the TV series, uh, The Brady Bunch, I would probably make the options butcher, baker or candlestick maker. Oh, okay. I see. I see where you're going with the joke order. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that's not the best question in the world, but it's it's a fine example of how you can take that. I also really like having parallelism uh, in my options. So they'll typically either all start with the same letter or they'll all have some kind of outside theme connection between them because I like to feel like a smarty, smart, smart guy. <laughs> and it, it's funny there was that was the perfect example you just gave because you said sam from the brady bunch and i'm like i don't remember who sam is and then you gave the three choices I'm like oh it's sam the butcher mm -hmm. yeah like sam it the butcher even alice the meat yep exactly <laughs> <laughs> but as soon as he said the three choices like all of a sudden i had an in where if you just said who what was sam's occupation on the brady bunch i i don't remember yeah it turns that you either know it or you don't question into a guessable question and there's not too many negatives you can say about that uh unless that you know, the key is you're trying to write a game that's very you either know it or you don't or that's just outside your style. I am all for multiple choice questions. In fact, I'm so for them that <laughs> I do two of them every round at my standard trivia game, uh, except I restrict the space even more on that second one because I love a good true or false style pub trivia question and i know i write them i know i make jeremy write them jeff i remember that you do the occasional true or false question i do one of the reasons that i like doing it is exactly what you said is it just limits the answer 
you have a 50% shot right off the bat, no matter what, you know, of true or false. Mm. Um, one of the things that I do differently that I'm allowed to because I uh, present my game visually uh, to clarify things, uh, one of the big issues with true or false questions is uh, generally there's like a nugget of a lie if it's going to be false. Right. Um, but there might be some information in the wording that would make it true or, you know what I mean? There's something outside of what you were really getting at with the question um, that might make it false. And uh, I'll give you an example. I don't know the exact wording of the question that I wrote, uh, but I, I wrote a question about uh, the other ship that was made by the people who built the Titanic and its use in um, World War II as a was it World War II or World War One? That doesn't matter. The the people that built the Titanic also built another very large ship that was much bigger than the Titanic. Then also went on to sink after it hit a sea mine, and that was mm. the that was the true fault aspect of it. Did this ship sink or did it not? Um, right. But um, the wording that I used in the beginning is that it originally was meant to be a luxury liner, but then got kind of conscripted into the navy. Um, and the years on that were a little iffy as to when it actually uh, set sail. And so people people said it was false, even though I put it in the in the true false. I said that it also crashed and sank the same exact way as the Titanic. So it was meant to be true. But because part of the wording at the beginning was a little weaselly, uh, mm -hmm. it was allowed to be false as well because, you know, the years weren't exactly right. So ever since that ridiculous time where <laughs> I had to deal with that from I wasn't the host of that game so I had to deal with that it over the phone so that was a good time but oh goodness yeah what I've done since then is I present my true and false uh questions with a underline underneath the part that would be true or false so no matter what else is in the sentence the part that I'm talking about is this part of the sentence true or false so if I said um in uh, 1969, uh, at Woodstock, the very first band to play was Mountain, uh, and then Mountain would be underlined. Uh, so that is a true statement. But if I said accidentally uh, in 1968 at Woodstock, mm. the first band to play was Mountain, that's not the part of the question that I'm looking at. You could still look at Mountain being first at Woodstock, and you'd know that that was true. You know, the 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 year aspect of it, or you know, if there's any weaselly way for that to accidentally be true or false, it gets rid of that completely, which allows me to write true or false questions more often than I would if I wasn't presenting uh, visually. As a, yeah, as no, a it's, it's definitely <laughs> a, a solid approach because as you said, there are some real finicky points into writing a good and valid and absolutely binary true or false question. I think true or false questions, and I've been doing them religiously for 10 years now are the question types that are most prone to nitpicking and to semantic arguments. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're going to write true false questions on a regular basis, you have to pin down every word, every fact that you put in uh, because it's real, real, real easy for a statement to be false. It is mm -hmm. really, really hard for a statement to be true. And usually the, the lexical semantics that you have to go through to make a statement in arguably true usually contain some kind of very particular phrasing 
or some very particular narrowing of the scope of the question or some weasel words that you can get around. And it is therefore hard to make a true question that doesn't just on its face scream. Well, this is probably true because he's real iffy about all the words that he used. I have thrown plenty a true or false question out because, as you said, uh, some typo made a year wrong. And, well, no, I, I gave you a wrong fact. I can't make it true if it's factually incorrect. Yeah, uh, and, exactly. and plus, honestly, I've, I've had some interesting feedback from players who are not my regulars and they're they don't jive with the whole true false aspect. It is a contentious question type for sure. But. I'm a terrible person, so I keep doing them. I like them. I like finding ridiculous facts that I can't think of a way to write a legitimate trivia question about with like an open-ended ask portion to it and just presenting yeah. it as a crazy fact. And you tell me if it holds water or not. Well, since you since you guys do your, your point scaling differently than I do, um, uh, the beginning of my game the questions are worth less and they're easier and the end of the game, they're worth more and they're harder. Uh, I almost always, if I ask a true false question, I put it earlier in the game to avoid that contentious aspect. Like if uh, one fifth of the really heavy point, the heavy weight questions from the end of the game is a true false, you mm -hmm. know, if you already don't like true false questions, that's just going to make it even worse. But if it's early in the game and it's kind of like lower stakes, like, Oh, I'm only losing one point from the first 10 questions, you know, eh, I don't like true false. Eh. You know, it doesn't make anybody angry. I'd like to make people not angry. I like to make people I, happy. Right. I, I like them as a, a writer occasionally because I'll just look at a blank sheet of paper and go, I want to write something just absurd. And I want it to yeah. be false. I want no part of this to be based in fact in any way, <laughs> shape or form. How creative can I get on something <laughs> that is just not taken from reality in any way, shape, or form. So it's the type of question I think I can flex my most creative uh, brain muscle on. Mm -hmm. But that said, it is real hard to find some way to phrase something that is so ridiculous that it tricks people into thinking it's true. Yeah. Trying to think of an example off the top of my head. I, I think I once claimed that Blu-ray like the the DVD style mm -hmm. was named for its two developers, which were like Jonathan Bluth and Raymond Johnson or, or some <laughs> just absolutely absurd <laughs> bullshit pair of names that I came up with. <laughs> and it caught out more people than you think. Yeah, I, I'm asked a similar one. And I, I if I thought about it, I would have looked for it ahead of time. But it was like something like these three actors are all related in this way, shape or form. You know, somebody's uncle and somebody else's like cousin or something like that. And like, no, they're not related at all. They just have the same last name. Yeah. And I think I almost got like half the room on that one. That's that's what it was. Edward Jenner, the guy who discovered uh, the polio vaccine or smallpox vaccine, smallpox. I, I want to make sure I don't get that fact wrong so that <laughs> we don't get a bunch of angry emails. I once asked a true false as to whether or not the Jenners as in Kylie and, and all of them were direct descendants of him. And I had to do the damn research. And Just fortunately, <laughs> I think at best they were like 19th cousins. Oh, geez. As far as I could tell from genealogy claims. So I'm like, no, nah, I feel I feel comfortable saying that they're not direct descendants. I think I found at some point that the Jenner family line ended like Edward and his kids and their kids and so on and so forth. Uh, so I felt comfortable with that. But it was just one of those things. 
And it's a good place to source a true or false question from is think of a question you don't know the answer to and then go look it yeah. up and be like, OK, this was I didn't know this was true or false. So now I'm going to challenge you. What other kind of questions do you want to talk about, Jeremy? Let's talk about some sorting and ordering questions. So, yeah, these would be the uh, the put these blanks in order of something. The fastest finger style questions, basically, from like who wants to be a millionaire. And I do them uh, from time to time. I don't know if you do or not, Jeff. Do you do sorting or put these in order from like biggest to smallest style questions I in your game? I have. I have for sure. Uh, I don't generally like it's not. um on my list of things to check off for each game, it's not in there. But if I come up with one that I think fits that format really well, um, I'll 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 write it for sure. Uh, it's not something that I. It's not one of my go tos though for sure. But I do. My uh, my hold up with that is that it, it's just like the multiple choice ones for me. Uh, whereas. Uh, if I'm writing it, like if somebody else, if somebody else writes one, and I'm like, oh, that's a really good question. And I snag it for my game. Sure. But when I'm writing ordering questions, I come into the same situation with multiple choices. Like, OK, how do I space these out appropriately so they they're not apart by a month or like a day? You know, I don't want to be the, the dude that's like, oh, these two are 10 years apart, but these last two are one day apart, you know? Um, and so I, I generally try to avoid those until I could find something uh, pretty plainly obvious, um, or at least you'd have to know like one specific fact about something uh, that would obviously put a put them in the correct order. Um, but that's just that's just my personal preference as a writer. I find those more difficult for me to write well. Uh, so if I ever do if I ever do get one, you know, I'll throw it in there. But I tend to avoid the the ordering questions. Yeah, I, I kind of I say I follow kind of the same guideline. I, I do put one in there uh, from time to time. It's definitely not an every round thing. Um, my my biggest thing with those kind of like you said is like uh, one of the questions I asked was put these Broadway plays in their in order of their release. Um, or it was in with or with the year they won you know in order of the year they won their Tony starting with the earliest. Mm -hmm. uh, something yeah. like that. And I made sure not to do like 2001, 2002, 2003, 2004. I did like something from like the 80s, something from the 90s, something from the early 2000s, something from the mid 2000s or something like yeah, that. Having, like, having I, I kept it within like 10, 15 years. Split on those makes sense. But yeah, you don't want to do like back to back to backs. And you're like, oh, do you remember like, do you remember the years like right away? Like which which ones are, you know, you know, I which, think I think the intent of a a put them in order question is to show broad knowledge and not like hyper specific knowledge, or at yeah. least it should be, you know? Yeah. And I mean, the thing is, like I, I said, just, you know, keeping it spaced out close enough together where it's not something somebody hasn't heard of, but at the same time, at least with my example, like far enough apart where you can make a good guess and people still got them out of order. Cause sometimes you don't remember, Oh, which one came first or you think one's older than it is because it's, been so prominent for so long you know in a bunch of different uh, categories and one of the things one of the things that i would do uh if i was if i was tasked with writing ordering questions is um if it is all right or all wrong no matter what um give them something to start with so like uh for example if i said uh put these order or put these states in order from when they joined the united states uh, starting with the earliest, 
Um, so like Delaware, I'd throw in there and like Arizona, like the something really late that's not Alaska or Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Um, so that they have bookends. They have some they they know that those two are in the right place. And then give them something uh maybe having to do with uh like a like a midwestern Virginia, state. for instance. Yeah, which, something that you know famously joined during the Civil War. So you have a year or yeah. two to kind of pin it down to with with other information. Yeah, or or something that would like um I don't know for sure if this even exists. Uh, but I'm just saying, like, if there was like a Midwestern state that's because it kind of goes from east to west, you know. Mm-hmm. So if there was like a Midwestern state where something further west, like, happened sooner, you know what I mean? Like, um, like a California versus the Dakotas. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So like, um, you'd have to at least that would be kind of a fifty-fifty guess. Um, but that you know, that's just me again, like my personal opinion about these type of questions, I, I find them hard to write. And so when I write them, I tend to do, I tend to make them easier. Like I said, be, by adding the bookends, it kind of makes it almost a 50, 50 chance. You mm. know, at least if you have, like you said, a broad knowledge of that category, if ever, you know, if you remember that Delaware is the first state and you remember that Arizona was the last state before Hawaii and, and Alaska, then at least you only have these two in the middle to, to, to deal with. And then it becomes a either or it's binary at that point. Yeah. And there's there's something to be said for the ability in a, a sorting question to kind of hide a surprising fact in the middle and, and yeah. catch some people out. And I'm, I'm blanking on a specific example to bring. But let's say, for instance, hypothetically that, you know, a famous baseball player. Oh, there we go. Nolan Ryan never mm-hmm. won the Cy Young Award in his career. Oh. And that is a surprising <laughs> fact. It is. So you could, you know. Sort these Hall of Fame pitchers by their number of Cy Young wins, starting with the fewest, and you could have Nolan Ryan in there, and then you know Andy Pettit or uh, Walter Johnson or whoever else you want to throw in mm-hmm. as like Hall of Fame well-known pitchers. And yeah, it's going to be tough, but I think that lets you highlight a surprising fact without having to figure out a way to word it such that the ask is pretty obvious. Yeah. I think that that's that's also kind of a, an interesting take on all of these question types is that they let you highlight facts in a different style than your normal presentation, which mm-hmm. is what really lends value to all of these things that we're talking about. It, it allows you a little bit of variety and allows you to uh, provide information or showcase that the teams have information in a specific way, which is definitely useful for sure. Yeah, and it just lets you flex your your creative muscles as a writer too. In fact, there's a yep. lot of uh, other formats that I'm looking at on our list here that just, as I'm reading through, I'm like, yeah, I can see where y- you get to bust out your creative chops a little bit on these. Uh, not so much, for instance, with like a matching question, but I like a matching question where I give you, you know, three A's and three B's, and you put them together, you know, mm-hmm. match the the family name to the TV family sitcom, for instance. Yeah. You so know, it's like one, two, three, and all four. In the family and yeah. Like one, two, three, and four are the family names. A, B, C, and D are the uh, TV show. And then you have to match like one C, two B, three A, four D or something like that. Yeah. See, and as you say that, Jeremy, it occurs to me that there are pitfalls with this kind of question, because how do you format the answer? <laughs> uh, that's something, yeah, uh, I have a lot of hard, I have a hard time. This is the one um, doing it in my head when I'm actually writing it out on the answer form. I have a really hard time, like, keeping it together. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Um, I do like it, uh, how it seems to be more of a, at least how you've been doing it lately with the, okay, one, two, three, and four are going to be one, two, three, and four. I just need the letters in order that they match up with. So if one is B and two is C, you would be, you know, C, B, D, A. And that's all I need. But in the order, one, two, three, four. Yeah, they're really hard to automatically grade using any kind of software application or or validation in any way. Uh, they're really hard to grade quickly in my live format where I'm, I'm looking at an answer on a whiteboard at a team's table for, you know, up to two seconds, especially if they don't put it in the format that I expect it to be. Because as I ask this question, I will sit there for the next minute or so and memorize the order I'm looking for. Like, yeah. OK, it's B-A-D-C, B-A-D-C. I need B-A-D-C. Yeah. And then I'll get to the first team and they wrote the names of the families. And I'm like, oh, oh crap. <laughs> so fortunately, <laughs> I, yeah. when I do these, I alphabetize everything so I can kind of go, OK, so it's the second one, then the first one, then the fourth one and the third one. But it slows me down. I it a matching question would be great if we had some kind of answering application uh, like a mobile device where you can just drag and drop and move stuff around. You can literally physically match up the prompts to the answers. But until we get there, guy who's uh, developing Triv now and is listening to this episode, <clears throat> uh, yeah, you make do with what you can. But they're uh, yeah. really just they're ultimately a specialized version of a sorting or ordering question. So I don't know how much more in detail we need to go with the concept of a matching question. I would love to talk about neater question styles that are more free response, well, but have like, I do have one thing to say about matching uh, really quickly. Uh, when I do matching rounds, I haven't done them digitally. I only did them in real life and they would be like my handout rounds. Cause I would have like breaks where I would do like a, like an in-between or a halftime round. Mm -hmm. um, and it would always be like the A's and B's and numbers would be up on the screen and they just have a sheet with one through 10 written on it. And they'd have to add the right number or letter or whatever. Um, but one of the things that I like about that is that's super easy to grade. They just, I give them a piece of paper. They give me back the same piece of paper, super easy to do 10 at a time. Um, but one thing that I do, uh, that I'm sure that a few other hosts do is I add landmines. So if I have one through 10 of the, what I'm looking for over here, and I have the selection of where you could match it, um, I'll throw extra answers that aren't correct up there so that you can't just go okay so if we've used all of these and we know that these eight are right then we're 50 50 on these last two not with my game because i'll add like two extra landmines so you don't know if that one is specifically correct or not uh it just adds a you know it's just an extra little road bump you know so you're saying you're a jerk yeah it kind of yeah. Oh, that is mean. Like, I purposely avoid these. I will do one every, like, four shows or something like that. Like, I do not like to make these because, as Jason mentioned, especially in a live environment, uh, you will tell the teams 20 times, I just need the answers in order of one, two, three, and four, as I said. So, DBCA, if that was the order. <laughs> and yeah. they will write out all of them, or they will write out both. They'll do... Um, tanners full house yeah. like and they'll write out like the whole thing i'm like ah, it's not what i memorized when i was going to walk around to grade you <laughs> and i'll have to walk back to my laptop and look to make sure that it's in the right order um and it's one of those yeah like they'll just put like the the family names to write out the whole thing uh, just using that example and it slows things down a ton um, plus it, it's just as a host, it, it's just harder as you're trying to memorize the answer, at least in the format that we do our show, 
um, where you walk around and we have a keyboard that's, you know, we mark them right or wrong by team. And it just shows up on the live scoreboard where um, if you have to keep going back and forth, you're adding a bunch of unneeded time uh, to the yeah. show. They're fun questions. With that said, they can be fun questions. I just use them very rarely. Yeah. So what about Jason? I know a couple weeks ago you did one with uh, uh, anagrams. Do you remember mm-hmm. that? It was like Capital City. I think it was Capitals anagrams. Yeah, I remember what you're talking about. We did a whole round of them, didn't we? It was like my uh, my fifth round theme. Yeah, I think so. It was, yeah, I think I called it capital letters. That's what it was. That, and yes. they weren't they weren't specifically uh, anagrams. Basically, what I did in that one, uh, I took the, the names of 10 different national capitals, and I put the letters of them in alphabetical order. Okay. And then people had to kind of reverse engineer them. But that said, I do anagram questions all the dang time. I know I'm not the only one. I love a good anagram question. They are hard to write sometimes. I know, um, you know, the guys over at Gentleman Octopus out in Florida, uh, McKinney and TJ, what's up, guys? Uh, they do, as part of their promotion for their game every week, they drop a, a weekly, like, dirty anagram on their social media page. And I think that is absolutely neat. So I know that I and we are not the only ones by any means here. So when you say yeah. dirty anagram, is the solution of the anagram dirty or is the, the like... Uh, I can't think of a good one because I'm not that smart to do it that fast. But like, is the word that they give you like butt the, stuff, the, and then the word they give oh, you I... is is butt stuff, and then it okay. translates to like <laughs> potato or something. Yeah. Jeez. Um, I do... do not fact check that for me, please. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you cannot rearrange the letters in butt stuff to get potato. <laughs> in, nor should you try. Uh, um, wow. I was going to say, I I, uh, I liked how uh, Lee was incorporating this into his games uh, on Fridays, and I think he still does, mm-hmm. um, at the Broken Buzzer uh, Twitch channel, where he will use those letters to create a word or two or three in the as part of the question, though, and they'll be capitalized uh, so you know which letters you're using, um, to ask a question uh, looking for an answer that uses those letters anagrammed out. That's yeah, no, he does a really good job with with finding anagrams for his answers that he can work into his clues. Now, I will say that an anagram question intrinsically needs to be visually presented in some way, shape or form. Uh, yeah, that's for sure. People need the letters in front of them. I mean, you can do it without a visual presentation, but you have to understand that you're probably going to have to say multiple times and probably spell out the anagram so players can sit there and notate and work on it. Uh off and on, but if you do a good one and you find a really interesting anagram that works, even if it's a simple formed question, the the anagram that you come up with can carry a lot of the weight on it, for instance. Yeah. So I'll give you an example of a sports one that I wrote years and years and years ago, and it's a simple question, but I liked it for, for that reason. So the question was, and again, this is way back at the beginning of my writing career, so there's not a whole lot of meat on these bones, but it's uh, <laughs> what former Fitz- Pittsburgh Penguins first name is a is fittingly an anagram for Mario Jr. Oh, uh, and that should be Jr. Yeah, Jr. Period, as in Jr. And the neat aspect of that is he was looked for a while in the Penguins organization because Mario yeah. Lemieux is is probably the most famous Penguin of all time. Yager would be a very close second. Yeah, um, he he in a sense was a Mario Jr. And his first name just kind of anagrams to that sensible phrase. I did one a while back where you can rearrange the letter letters in Singapore 
to prison age. And then I threw a, a 90s caning reference in basically uh, to, to be an in and to connect the dots on them. <laughs> you guys remember when that was like the biggest news story? Is it some, some kid was in Singapore doing dumb shit and he got caned? Oh, oh my those gosh. were simpler times. <laughs> oh, now, my goodness. Do I hearken back to those halcyon days? <laughs> so on, on our list of stuff is something I'm not familiar with. Uh, what is Ooh. broken karaoke? So Broken Karaoke is a question format that, you know, going back to Lee at Broken Buzzer uh, has taken from I forget what British pub quiz show does essentially this type of question. And somebody uh, from the UK will email me angrily and say, hey, I told you three times it's like it's countdown or it's QI or it's it's one of those very popular British uh, quiz shows that I just don't watch because uh, we won that war. Um, but basically a broken karaoke question, and you can expand this into a couple different formats is you take the first letters of a name or a phrase or a lyric to a song or the subtitle to a movie. And all you do is present those first letters and a clue as to what people are looking for. And they have to kind of reverse engineer what song contained the lyrics, what film contained the subtitle, what book opened with that opening line. Uh, my buddy, uh, from the UK was a guest host and I'm not going to reveal who that is for reasons yet, <laughs> but my mm-hmm. buddy did a, uh, a guest show on my stream a couple weeks ago where he did a whole round of, of broken style questions. And he found, uh, trying to remember slogans for companies, uh, first lines of books. Um, he, I wish I had it in front of me because he found 10 completely different approaches to it. I think one of them was like a common cliche that, you know, has to do with a a very specific job or something like that. Uh, And they were all gettable and they're unique. And I really like it. I love this type of question. Um, And to give an example uh, that would work would be the question is be my karaoke machine is broken and it only shows the first letters to this 80s hit. Here's the first things that or here's one of the things that came up on the screen during the chorus. Oh, okay. And it's like N-G-G-Y-U, N-G-L-Y-U. Or no, you stop N-G-L-Y-U. that right now, sir. <laughs> this is not that kind N-G-L-Y-U. of podcast. You will not <laughs> rickroll our dear, sweet fans. Hot take. Uh, Rick Astley's great. Yep. So, yeah, it'd, it'd be uh, you'd, okay, by looking at that, you'd figure you. out never going to give you up, never going to let you down. So it like, looks kind of like an acrostic, like it's just letters and you kind of have to. Yeah. No, so, an acrostic's a good way to put it. Yeah. So, like, the the one that I was thinking of is, like, oh, the first line of a book, if it was I-W-T-W-O-T, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, like, or no, it would have been I-W-T-B-O-T, uh, I-W-T-W-O-T was the best of times, exactly. so it was the worst of times, you know. Okay, I get it yeah, now. that kind of question, because you would think that that a pretty halfway decent trivia player is is going to know the opening line to a tale of two cities. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. And then it goes on, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So it just adds an extra, but layer. it adds a wrinkle. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's, you're not that's... asking them to give you the first line or you're not giving them the line and saying, name the book. You're giving them something that can be reverse engineered into a well-known thing. So it adds just one, uh, one layer of obfuscation or, or one level of complexity to an otherwise kind of plain, easy yeah. to approach question because for most of these you're going to find and you should find recognizable things you're going to find classic film quotes okay. uh you know uh i could have been a contender or whatever yeah. and you know that that's a pretty chestnutty 
film trivia question is the name of the film that came from. But if you mm-hmm. give the year and you give that it's a film and you give that it's, you know, number nine on the AFI all time list of film quotes and you give those letters and you ask for the film name, you've added some flesh to it. You've added a little bit of mental gymnastics that the teams have to go through. And also you have made it a team question because instead of one person going, Oh, I recognize that lyric is from, you know, blank song or whatever, you know, four people going through with four different mental approaches, simultaneously trying to tease out what each letter could be with their understanding of lyrics and language and everything. And any player on that team can have that aha uh, light bulb moment and, and be the savior. Nice. So I, I actually, I really so like do that. that a lot. Yeah. Heads up. <laughs> They're great. Heads up, RMT players. There's probably a round of those coming soon. But, and I cannot stress this enough, do not do an entire round of just broken karaoke questions. Uh, they work great in Lee streams because he do, does one a game. They worked great with my uh, friend from the UK because he did 10 different Uh, source materials, basically books, films, TV, whatever. Every experience that I've had either hosting or playing somebody who attempted to make a whole round of here's some lyrics from a song's first letters, name that song. Mm -hmm. uh, The feedback has been terrible. Oh, okay. It is the only (laughs) won't happen. (laughs) I do them. Just don't do a whole dang round of them. Don't don't stay in the same in the the same same, wheelhouse. The only questions I have ever been paid to not ask again in my life <laughs> happened on a stream about three months ago when I did a whole round of broken 90s karaoke stuff. Right. I love that round. But again, they, I am a karaoke junkie and I like I, I know a lot of lyrics and, you know, they they donated $50 collectively. If I promised <laughs> because we only got through five of them out of the 10 I wrote, they donated $50 and said, if you throw the other five out right now, we'll give you this money. <laughs> So it was it was an experience. Uh, there is a knife's edge on it. Let's talk about a different question. Let's talk about one of your signature questions, actually, Jeff. What the hell is an um actually question? OK, so um, like I was talking about before, uh, I when swear I do- to God, you're going to follow that um with actually and it would have been <laughs> brilliant radio. So good uh, job. Dan. Damn it. Um, when I write true false questions like i said before i underline the part that i want you to focus on what is this part true or false and what i did is i took those questions a step further and what i'll do is i'll present you with a statement um and part of that statement will be underlined and it's your job to tell me if that is a true statement or if it's false you have to correct me you have to give me the um actually it's this not that so for example uh, one of the ones I did actually last week, I did a whole round of ones about animals. Uh, one of the statements was flamingos are naturally white, but turn pink over time due to the beta carotene found in shrimp. And shrimp is underlined, uh, which is their main food source. Uh, and so teams would have to decide if that statement itself was true or false. And if it's false, they'd have to correct the underlined bit. That one itself is true. Flamingos are naturally white, but they turn pink because they eat a bunch of shrimp. So they mm. turn pink. But uh, here's one that's wrong. So residing in the rainforests of South America, the green mamba is the most poisonous animal known to man. Now, this one has a few pitfalls in it, but I like this one because poisonous and venomous are not the same thing. Oh, they very much are. It depends oh, no. on who's yes. biting who. Exactly. Say, venomous, maybe. 
poisonous? Yeah. No. Yeah. So, but the the most poisonous uh, is you'd have to correct green mamba. Green mamba was underlined. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, if it was well, that's like uh, that's not like dart frog or whatever, isn't it? Yeah, that's that they correct. Used to, it's yeah. the poison dart frog, the little tiny guys that are like the size of a penny that could kill like seventy full grown adults. Um, but yeah, so they would have to instead of writing true, they would have to write dart frog or poisonous dart frog or whatever, you know. But uh, I like those because it, it's an extra step past a true false question, and it kind of plays a like a, it's a bit of a meta joke about trivia itself, mm-hmm. where you know you're always correcting, and <laughs> you know, and and so just because um actuallys themselves are are kind of a fun part of trivia, I decided what if that was itself part of the game like what if i'm wrong and they have to correct me um and so my opinion on that is you're taking something that we all have to fucking deal with as trivia hosts and writers and subverting it so that you can get the last laugh i don't know if i love the people who are like um actually because they're usually nitpicking the hell out of my show yeah uh like i said when when it's good natured and fun i'm always a fan of it fair Uh, fair but yeah, when uh, when it's the people that constantly have to make sure that they give one extra bit of information past that, it's like, yeah, I know, but I didn't add that to the question. So, it, you know, that's kind of where it came from is I, I want you to correct these because that's the that's the point of it, you know, and it allows it allows me to uh, kind of play around a little bit with. Um, word, like you said, it helps me be creative as a writer because now I'm writing statements instead of questions. Um, so it, it's one of my, it's one of my more favorite things that I write. I, I like it. I have never seen anybody do, that does a similar style of question. That is a Jeff Dam Bim original. And it is, yes, it is <laughs> such a great idea. I can't even in good conscience steal it, even though I really want to, because it'll feel like I'm just infringing on your, your IP man. And I know ah. you could tell me, he's like, yeah, do it. They're fun. I'm like, nah, it's just, people are going to know I'm ripping off Jeff. <laughs> he got there first. He wins. Yay. I did a thing. All right, so we might hear more about that later, I believe. So we'll we'll leave that one by the drawing board, or by, not the drawing Spoilers. board, by the uh, by Sorry. the by the wayside for now. That's what I'm looking for. Um, Jason, why don't you tell us what interlaced answers is? See, uh, where whereas Jeff created a question style called um actually, I created a, a question format that works fairly well with a visual presentation of your clues, which back in like 2010 when I started was was not the rule. It was absolutely the exception that I was hooking into televisions. I was using like VGA cables and uh, over the air adapters to to get into tel- bar televisions. It was simpler times, uh, I said sarcastically. But because I had that ability to present the text of my questions, I decided to, to mess around with an idea and it's basically interlaced answers. So what's going on is I'm going to give you an interlaced string of letters, just capitalized, random looking letters. But if you separate out the letters that form one word in order, you're left with the letters that form another word in order. And those two are always connected. I'm going to pull an example up here super quick so I can kind of explain what's going on here. Yeah, I like this one. I know it. I know what question you're talking about now. At first, when I saw it on the list of stuff we put together, I'm like, I don't remember what that is. But now I do because I've I've done this myself. Um, using your example, obviously, uh, it was. It can be a lot of fun, but yeah, if you ha- you have to figure out what one of those words is. Yeah. 
It's not going to play really well in an audio medium, but I'll try. So uh, one that I wrote way back when separate the name of the popular video game franchise from its developer in this string where all the letters are in order, but I jumbled up the positions of them and the string is and I'll give you guys at home a second to write this down if you really want. T-N-E-K-A-M-K-C-E-O-N. Pause now because I'm about to tell you the answer. And the answer, if you take those letters and you cross out all the letters in order that spell Tekken, T-E-K-K-E-N, you are left with the name of its developer, Namco, N-A-M-C-O. So it's an anagram in reverse, in hmm. a sense. I'm not changing the order of the letters at all. I'm smushing two words together that are related into something that looks like absolute nonsense. Imagine, if you will, that you have a pair of like barber's combs and you just smush them together so the teeth all line up, but they don't necessarily line up one to one. Sometimes you could have blocks of like three or four teeth from one comb separated. That's basically, this is the, basically the lexical equivalent of that. It's a weird question type. Your um actuallys are better. Let's move on. <laughs> I, I do like that idea though of, of kind of, uh, it's almost like a game of hide and seek. Like you have to dig through it and go, okay, wait, 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 no, da, 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 da. oh, it's that, you know, it kind of, it's interesting. Yeah, it was, yeah. again, a way, because for various reasons, I couldn't do picture questions mm -hmm. uh, way back when, because the TV was in an awkward position, people couldn't get the, the graphic to show up. I was using such a limited space. And again, this is, you know, 2010 programming me developing this before I learned how like slideshows work like a smart boy. Uh, but I could, you know, <laughs> take text and turn it into a visual aid question. So this just kind of I don't remember the impetus for writing the first one. I think it was separate the the name of this U.S. state from its capital or something because I was down to the wire and I'm like, oh, boy, there's a whole bunch of similar looking letters here. And if I mess with the order, that would be a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I as a uh, really big fan of word puzzles, um, I, I love this type of question. Mm hmm. And I think that was part of the inspiration as well, being a, a, a puzzle hunt nerd and a word game fan. So it's just kind of my inclusion into the space. Uh, I also made a note here about a type of question that I do that I don't know that a lot of other people do. And for lack of a better word, it's called an any and every question. It is basically a multiple answer style question where I'm a jerk and I don't tell you how many correct answers there are. So name any and every US state that shares a water border with the Gulf of Mexico kind of thing. Oh, OK. Just as a real quick off the top of my head category, I'm not telling you there are what five states, I think, officially, because you've got Texas, you've got Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama and Florida. I'm not mm -hmm. telling you there's five answers. I'm telling you there is some number of answers. You have to get all of them without giving a single wrong one. Oof. Oof. Yeah, it doesn't work out <laughs> great when you're doing uh, something that has to be automatically graded like through an app. But for a live show yeah. where you can just look and go, hey, I know there's five answers. That answer you put is not on my list. So by definition, your answer is wrong. Yeah. If you have if you don't have the right number of answers and I don't or I don't spot a, a or I do spot a wrong answer on your list. It, it's a very quick thing to grade because you don't have to look for accuracy. You just have to spot the inaccuracy. Yeah. But, you know, I just in general, I like writing questions with multiple answers. 
you know, name the two Stephen King films that were released, blah, 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 or whatever, because I feel like one is easy, so everybody's going to get it. And that second one is going to be the real ask. But I yeah. also don't want to just spot you information sometimes. Yeah, I, I used to do ones similar to that uh, in in the long, long ago of live shows, uh, because, you know, people would hand me a little piece of paper with their answer on it. So it was really, like you said, easy to find the inaccuracy. Um, but with the um, digital format that we're working in now, I don't want to go through and type the 19 different ways that you could type these four words in mm. the same, you know. So I, I just have laid off those mostly. But I also don't go the extra step of not telling you how many there are. <laughs> right. And actually, that, that reminds me that I'm talking about it. There's another question type that I've done a little bit recently that a couple of my live teams really like, but they're kind of impossible to do in the online space. And they're what I call shotgun questions. I do a pretty rigidly timed game, both live and mm -hmm. online. You have about a minute to answer. I have taken the concept of any and every and I've taken off the any portion, basically. And yeah. what it is, is you have a minute using as many guesses as you can come up with in that minute to name the six NFL quarterbacks who who did this thing. So oh, you okay. just you have you have the scribe on that team just feverishly writing down <laughs> the last names of every notable quarterback <laughs> they can think of as quickly as they can. I have seen. Teams who are good at this would put 17, 18, 19 answers Holy on their board in geez. one minute. And all I have to do is remember the, the five or six correct answers and go, do I see this? Do I see this? Do I see this? Do I see this? And do I see this? It ultimately kind of originated from, and I'm going to try to find the first question that I did it, but it was an idea where I, I wanted to play with the timer and people's ability to to think very, very quickly, because the faster you can think, the faster you can write, the bigger advantage you have on something that you don't necessarily know all the correct answers to, but you can shotgun possibilities. Yeah. That's fun. I like that. A couple of weeks oh, ago. Oh, I think I found an example. Sorry to cut you up, but it turns oh, no, out my right. mic go, was go muted ahead. because I am not good at this yet. So <laughs> I found one from like 2017. I think it's the first time I ever wrote one of these questions. So it is uh, using as many guesses as you like, correctly name any three of the five most populous cities in the world. Oh, okay. And you've got a minute to just write down all the the populous cities that you can think of and there are some surprising ones on this list and it also depends as i've learned recently on your source material uh i didn't love that like Chongqing in china is often listed as the the most populous city in the world based on how you kind of define your parameters and i'm like mm -hmm. yeah the standard bar trivia goer isn't going to get that so first of all i'm going to make this you know name three of the five instead of name all five. But then I'm thinking, uh, even then, they're, they're going to be niggling over one or two. And there's some real red herrings like Tokyo and Mexico City that aren't on the list. So let's combine the two ideas. There are hard answers that are on this list and red herrings that aren't. I'm going to give you a minute. Write down as many guesses as you want. Nail three of them. Hmm. I do. I, I do. Uh, I do like the idea of those questions. And if I ever get back to hosting in the meat space, I'm definitely stealing that answer or that that question style. I like that a lot. 
Yeah, unfortunately, it does have to be pretty rigidly timed, so keep that in mind. And, and yeah. yeah, as Jason said, that, that plays really well live. You, there's really no good way to do it in one of the online grading systems. Yeah. No, because you're just rewarding like autocomplete at that point. Uh, Jeremy, you made a note about periodic spelling. I don't think you invented this question, but I know it is kind of a Jeremy classic for you to include these in games that you write. So talk us through periodic spelling. Yeah, so I yeah, I definitely did not invent this. I don't remember where I first saw it. I mean, it might have been at one of your shows or might have been another game I was playing or something online. I don't remember. But my teams really uh, enjoy this one uh, for my for our science and geography round. And I'll just give you an example of one that I wrote that is uh, kind of fits in here, and you'll see why at the end. If you took the following chemical symbols and shuffled them around, you might decide that you want to take up what musical hobby? Boron, Einsteinium, iodine, two times phosphorus, and silver. And, so and then boron I put a note is B, iodine is I, phosphorus is P, and you're going to have two of those, you said. Einsteinium is ES, and silver, which I think is the, the hook on this question, is AG. So, oh, bagpipes. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and you got he it. He said, pretending that he hadn't seen this question live a year ago. <laughs> look i i will be the first to tell you when i'm a smart guy and that wasn't that moment <laughs> um and that that's a little harder one i wrote uh because I, I felt like some of the other ones in that round were a little easier and uh i use that as the example here because of uh the D D character i play uh <laughs> that we need to do again soon um, we really do uh, the other one I wrote that was easier because I felt the other, the rest of the round was harder. Uh, it says, if you took the chemical symbols for rhodium, uranium, barium, and rubidium, you might be you might get hungry and be inclined to make what kind of pie? Oh, rhubarb. Okay. So yeah, the, 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 and those are examples that I've used uh, over the years. Yeah, the the big pitfall I would say is you have to pick the right elements. Unfortunately. Uh, because so many element symbols start with the same first letter as the element, and so many notable ones that don't are real well known, like gold being AU. So it's it's hard to find at least one letter that puts a challenge in there, unless you're explicitly not giving them the correct order, uh, like you did with your bagpipes one, which I thought was a very good question. Don't get me wrong. It's just it's it's difficult to find a scope that works well for the difficulty you're trying to aim for in a round like that. Yeah, I usually try to throw it either like a gold or a silver or um, something that doesn't start with what you think it starts with to kind of throw the wrench there and make it a little bit harder. Or like a two letter one that you don't necessarily think is two letters and that second letter is kind of surprising. Like copper, CU. And I believe I've used that in one of them as well. Um, I know there's at least a couple more that I've used regularly that uh, it, it gets people to think a little bit, too, because like this doesn't spell anything. Oh, wait, one of these isn't right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because when you got it, you know, you've got <laughs> it. Yeah. And it kind of self checks there, which is nice. All right. So we have two or three more on this list. Should we just bang them out real quick before we uh, wrap up the roundtable, gentlemen? Yeah, sure. Uh, who added analogies and what were you talking about? Oh, uh, that was me as well. Um, so something, uh, try to come up with one off the top of my headset and pull an example would be um, during the history and the arts round, like asking a literature question, like Harry Potter is to J.K. Rowling as who is to Jim Butcher? Oh, or as like blank is to Jim Butcher. Style, the yeah. SAT style questions. Yeah. Okay. So just an analogy question. Um, so that would be Harry Dresden, if you know that or you don't. Oh, okay. Um, 
So this wizard character is to this author as this wizard character is to this author is kind of what you'd be figuring out in the long run if you were trying to put that together. Yeah, and I've done a couple of these before, and I know that some people will, but other people just hate them because they have SAT like flashbacks. Uh, one that I'm just pulling up, and they're pretty good for science. You can write them in other contexts, but you're pretty safe in like a science round usually because of rigidly defined uh, categories. I have one hemoglobin is to blood as blank is to muscle. And this was a very tough one, but it is, I would think, gettable. And the answer that I was looking for there is myoglobin. Because those oh, are the okay. uh, the names of the two proteins in blood and muscle that actually transport oxygen from the bloodstream. If it's in blood, it's hemoglobin. If it's in your muscles, it's myoglobin. Um, interesting side note for you chefs out there and meat eaters. The, the red juices that come from like a steak are not blood. They are myoglobin. So I think that was the source of me writing that question. I was explaining to my kid uh, as I was cooking one night, and he's like, oh, I don't want to touch it. It's bloody. I'm like, it's not bloody. Um, actually, <laughs> this is a natural liquid called blah, 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 whatever. So I'm like, you know, a lot of people don't know that. Let me remind them that they don't know that. So trivia math I also added to the list, and this is not to be confused with math trivia, but this is where you take some pop culture references or literary references, sports numbers, basically something that has a number in the, the sub ask to it. And you have teams combine them in some way. Uh, for instance, what do you get when you put together the only number to be retired by every team in Major League Baseball and the only number to be retired by every team in the National Hockey League? Hmm. So, you know, Jackie oh, Robinson's, yeah, 42 was retired league-wide. Gretzky's 99 was retired oh, league-wide. Okay. Yeah, the only two numbers that, that can be said about that. So it's not asking you to give two answers. It is asking you to do the most basic of arithmetic functions, which yeah. in this case would be 141. And I have, I, I have taken very smart teams, teams that win my shows on a regular basis, and nothing gives me a better sense of schadenfreude than when they have the right facts and they did the math wrong. Because I didn't ask you to name both those numbers, I asked you to tell me what you get when you add them together. Yeah. And you forgot to carry a one, you don't get credit. Now that's not for everybody. I have to state that. This is if you are a little antagonistic at times with your teams, you are not going to make friends correcting people's math. There is a <laughs> saying at my shows that has to do with my math for just that reason. Uh, Fuck because, Jay's math. Yeah, because I will tell you, you know, this this question has three, you know, micro asks in it. I'm going to make you do the work, add them together or multiply them together. I did one that I want to talk about really quickly because I think it's my favorite one of all time. What TV show title do you get when you combine the titles of Pearl Jam's first album, Adele's second album and Taylor Swift's fifth album? Hold on. Doing math. So you've oh, got sure. 10. Mm -hmm. You've got 21, I believe is her mm -hmm. second album. You yep. have 19, 1989. Okay. That's yep. the one I was just couldn't remember the year. 1989. Okay. My brain immediately was like, 24. <laughs> but that's not right. That's the only and number I, one I could think. So you've got 31 plus 1989. Yeah. But you add them together, and what TV show title do you get? Oh, 2020. Yep. <laughs> It was just one of those things where I, I realized that Adele and Taylor Swift 
both had albums referencing their ages in different ways. And I did the math on it. I'm like, well, if you add those together, that's 2010. Well, I could make a question about what year do you get when you do that? But uh, you know what? What if I add 10 to it? I get 2020. Hey, Pearl Jam had an album titled 10. Which was their debut album, which is really strange. Yeah, well, there's a whole chestnutty trivia story about that involving Mookie Blaylock. But yeah. the most interesting yeah. fact is <laughs> yeah. 11 tracks on 10. Yeah, yep. I had to play dumb on that one because I 100% stole that question from you and asked it at my own game. <laughs> oh, nice. Hey, you know, the, the best steal, uh, they just steal with attribution. How about I ask you guys a question uh, for our last category here? And then okay. we can explain it a little bit because we saved our favorite and our and the best for last. So here's a question for you that I'm sure we've all heard. You're before, so proud though. of yourself. I am. <laughs> Despite being the MLB's all-time wins leader, what award did Cy Young never earn, which is handed out to the best pitcher in the American and National League each year? You friggin' douche. <laughs> <laughs> he won that the Nolan example. Ryan Award. Yeah, right, the Nolan <laughs> the Ryan Nolan Award. Ryan. Yeah, Hint, Nolan Ryan also never won this award. Um, that would be my favorite, and one I only ask one a show, and that is the douchey trick question, where the mm. answer is in the question. Because, uh, of course, Cy Young never won the Cy, Cy Young Award. It'd be cooler if he did. Like, like a posthumous. we gave you the statue with your name and face on it. Um, you are the you of viewing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it's it's a Liquid Courage classic. And I, I have noticed that other shows are starting to adopt this slowly but surely where I'm I'm an asshole and I will stick the answer to a question in the question itself. Uh, my teams eventually kind of caught it. I think it started as an accident once or no, no, I take that back. It started when I realized that Jeopardy does a whole uh, recurring category about these called stupid answers, where the, the the response to the prompt is in the prompt itself. So I did a whole round of them once, and I didn't tell people what was going on in that round, and I just waited for the light bulbs to go off after the third or fourth question. Mm -hmm. And people were like, oh God, the answers are in all of these. And the response was real positive. So I decided I, I couldn't do frequent rounds about it because once you get the conceit, you're looking at it from moment one. So the way to hide it is to just throw one in our 50 question game and not tell you which one it is. It The, the answers that I get from teams who are absolutely stumped on regular questions that are doing gymnastics to try to turn the clues that I gave them into the answer because they don't have anything better than this is the douchey trick question for the night make it absolutely worthwhile. I cannot stress enough how happy I am to be the douche behind the douchey trick question. <laughs> oh, it's great too. Cause when you do have teams that are stumped and they're, they're like, like you said, absolutely positive, this has to be it. And then the, the answer they give you is just way off because they took like something directly out of the question that had nothing to do with the answer. So I think that pretty much does it for all the uh, unique kind of question types that we can think of listeners. If you can think of any uh, from your favorite hosts or your favorite brands that we didn't go over, uh, feel free to send us an email. We check it occasionally uh, quadriviapod <laughs> at gmail.com and just tell us about, you know, your, your favorite local host and a weird, unique question type so we can steal it. And Jeremy, I said email. Maybe you did that's a transition. <laughs> You did say email. So before we get into this week's keyword challenge, uh, we have a listener email that I'm going to pull up right now. 
Yeah, this wouldn't be uh, from a friend of go. mine uh, who's been a, a guest host that I intentionally didn't say the name of earlier, would it? <laughs> um, actually, it would. Uh, this is from our good friend Addy over in the uh, UK, Scotland. Um, he sent us this email right before the last recording, and uh, we were going long, so I decided we would just get it in this week. So here is uh, Addy's email. It is an, ex- an example he had from, uh, I want to say it was episode 15 of ours, um, where we were talking about, uh, this is where Jeremy Conman was on the show, and it was, if you know enough to be pedantic, you know the right answer. Um, uh, so that would have been, yeah, like episode 14 or so, if yeah. I recall correctly. Yeah, uh-huh. if you know what I'm looking for, or if you know enough to talk to me about specifics or go too deep into the question, you know the answer I was looking for. Um, so this is what he had to say. He goes, hi, all love the show and all of you. Oh, thanks, Addy. We love you, too. (laughs) Eh, He seems nice. (laughs) Uh, After the most recent episode, I had to let you know my own favorite. If you know enough to be pedantic, you know, the right answer scenario in one of my proxy pub quizzes. The round was weapons. So either the question or answer contained or was about a weapon. 15 questions, and I wanted to go beyond guns and swords for more variety, so I thought a reasonable and easy answer, a reasonable and easy question, sorry, would be which weapon did did David kill Goliath in the Bible? Um, A sling, right? Everyone knows that. Except, as pointed out to me, that is not strictly true, as one highly academic team pointed out to me. They actually asked me for clarification on it, noting that the standard English text of the relevant Bible passage is unclear, and in point of fact, inaccurate, the actual killing weapon being a sword. I asked my cousin, yeah, who at the time was a trainee priest who had done missionary work for advice on this, and even he wasn't sure. To get to the truth of things, I got deep enough into my research on the subject that I actually looked up the original Aramaic version of the story and detailed academic commentary on its meaning. Yeah, right? Um, So continuing, I thus discovered that the standard English version of the story is a conflation of two different versions of events, which isn't strictly accurate to either and actually undermines the original intended meaning of the story. Okay. Yeah. So originally, David's famous sling merely stuns Goliath. The point of it all is that David has gone into battle without a real weapon and kills Goliath with his own sword by beheading him. It's a very early hoist by his own petard situation. And not, the, and not the simple underdog prevails situation that the English version presents as. So given that, the team was right to question my given answer, as David did not kill Goliath with a sling. The fact that I had to go to the original Aramaic version to prove it, however, <laughs> means that they definitely knew I was expecting the answer of sling, as every single other team out of the 30 gave without issue. The only, yeah, the only clue in the English Bible that there's more to the question is that the text is kind of vague about what happens after the stone is thrown with the sling. Goliath is killed and the connection is implicit, but tellingly not confirmed. So, yeah, I thought this was a fun story worth sharing. Keep up the great work. I have two (laughs) words to say to that, and those two words are metallic fucking hydrogen. (laughs) That reminds me of that horror story I dropped several episodes ago. Yeah, Like, you have to go to the original damn Aramaic text to maybe, maybe disprove this thing that is just cultural common knowledge. Ugh. I, that's not even fun to me. And as someone who was really confused but wanted to do, um... In my real life, I spent a year at a Bible college 
um, mm-hmm. studying this stuff. And I like as soon as he saw as I saw his question, I go, oh, it was a sling. <laughs> right. Like Michelangelo did a whole thing about the sling. <laughs> exactly. It's like, oh, my gosh. And this is a great example. And thank you, Addy, for sending that in. Like, seriously, I was laughing when I was reading it the first time. And I was trying to, like, hold together as I go through this the, the second time as you guys are laughing in the background, because it's ridiculous what you had to l- go through to make their answer right. Which means mm-hmm. they knew exactly what you were looking for. Like it, and, it, it makes the given answer kind of meaningless. Like it don't mean a thing unless David's got that sling. <laughs> oh God, nice. Well, again, uh, Addy, thank you for the email. Uh, thank you for the fantastic Addy. story. Um, but yeah, that fits in with exactly what we were talking about a couple weeks ago, and uh, it, it's hilarious and ridiculous at the same time. Um, so, as we go into our keyword challenge, at the bottom of this email. Addy submitted a keyword, and I figured since we were reading his email, we could use his keyword this week. So normally we uh, put these into a a spreadsheet and do like a random number generator. But since we read the email, we're going to use Addy's keyword here. So this week's keyword is we're going to spend 10 minutes writing a question about is spider. Nope. (laughs) Nope. You, you can't even put, give people a content warning on that, Jeremy. Jesus. Yep, um, you and I have different mutual friends that have just turned the podcast off because you didn't <laughs> warn them. Thanks. Oh, well. It is what hey. it is, right? Yeah, well, um, I know I know uh, what direction I'm not going to take with this question. Let's see what directions you guys take. Uh, are you ready to, to call it a half? Sure call thing. it a half. All right. So we're going to take our 10 minutes and we will see you listeners on the other side. Hey, everyone. Jason here. While the host and I step away to think about our keyword challenge, we just wanted to remind you that you can check us out online at Quadrivia Pod on Twitter. On Facebook, just search for Quadrivia Podcast. And you can always email us at quadriviapod at gmail.com. We're always happy to hear from you. And now, back to the show. And we are back from our 10-minute self-isolation to write... Uh, Three questions about something that is going to be a fan favorite, I'm sure. Thank you so much, Addy from Scotland, uh, for for dropping this in our laps, as it were. The keyword is spider. Fortunately, there are some directions you can go on this. So, Jeremy, we'll start with you. Throw a question at us. Okay, mine is this. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is the first theatrical release movie to center around which alliterative iteration of the Spider-Man character. This character is also hinted at subtly in Spider-Man Homecoming when Peter confronts his uncle, Aaron Davis, played by Donald Glover in the film. Ooh, okay. Good question. Uh, Easy for comic book nerds. I will say that for sure. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of comic book nerds, hey, Jeff, you're here. Uh, What's the answer? Oh, uh, that is uh, Miles Morales. That is, in fact, Miles Morales. I agree with that as well, because, you know, it's true and correct. Uh, first, first blush. I don't know that I love the word alliterative in there without also mentioning mentioning Peter Parker. It's like an unintentional red herring, if that makes sense. Uh, well, I, I kind of did that in the second part of the question where I said when Peter confronts his uncle. Aaron Davis. Right. I mean, I, I think it's a solid question. Again, it plays kind of easy for comic book people. But outside of that. I think it's fair game. Let's start talking about the Miles Morales iteration of Spider-Man more and more. Obviously, uh, is the first theatrical release movie to spin around which other alliterative iteration of the Spider-Man character is probably my only note 
on it just because you you kind of you hear alliterative you hear spider-man your first thought goes to peter parker because you know marvel's characters are like 80 percent alliteratively named let's be honest trying to think what pop culture uh it was either a film or a tv show that talked about that at length like all the alliterative characters in marvel and i'm really I wish I could remember. I saw it in some movie or I saw it on some TV show. They, uh, I don't know if you listened to the audiobook or read the book, uh, Ready Player One. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, uh, they don't talk about it in the movie much. I think they hit on it really quick. Um, but yeah, that's, that's his it. His name is Wade Watts. His name is Wade, Wade Watts. Yeah. And in the okay. movie, they don't really talk about his parents that much because the, well, they're dead in the book, too. But he talks in the book, uh, not at length, but for a couple paragraphs about how his dad um, named him after superheroes like Peter Parker. He wanted him to have the alliterative name to feel like he was a superhero. I do. Okay, have, I like that. Yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut in on you. Uh, yeah, but I do have uh, an interesting if you wanted to take this one in a harder direction for the uh, for. Well, It'd probably be a bad idea because it, you definitely need to be a comic book nerd to know this one. But if you, instead of focusing on Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse and you talked about the superior Spider-Man line, you could also talk about the alliterative, alliterative character that acted as Spider-Man, which was Otto Octavius. You can mm-hmm. you know, even throw in that he was a villain that's now acting as Spider-Man. But that that's another level of an, another uh, repeating letter name that was Spider-Man as well, besides Peter Parker, Miles Morales and Otto Octavius. That's a good question though. Otherwise for sure. And even, you know, not otherwise, just, I I have to nitpick you because, you know, I I own you in a capitalist (laughs) sense. Uh, Jeff, what do you have for us vis-a-vis spiders? Uh, I also went a little nerdy with my question. Uh, Joining a list that includes skeletons, spiders, zombies, and creepers, what best-selling video game has added enemies called Endermen, Guardians, and Illagers in updates over its 11-year lifespan? I'm just sitting here with my arms crossed and a smug smile on my face. As as professional Twitch streamers, as we all weirdly are, uh, this would be Minecraft, right? Of course, yes. It's (laughs) Minecrafting. Yeah, <laughs> I say as I see this on my TV all the time because my son is obsessed with it. Uh, yeah, Minecraft would be the right answer, Mister. I'm going to mispronounce everything on <laughs> Twitch, uh, right. such as uh, Fork Knife and Courage B for Valorant. Yeah, Call Courage of Duty. Uh, yeah, I'm not super pleased. Uh, I mean, you guys heard me bitching and moaning as I was writing it because I couldn't. <laughs> uh, once I decided to go the Minecraft route, I couldn't get away into the question that wasn't um i wanted to avoid creepers at first uh and i just wanted to talk about illagers which are the the one of the newer bigger mobs that was added to the game Mm. um and i knew i wanted to talk about the game's really long lifespan and that it was best selling uh but all of those things combined it was just too many clues and i didn't have i mean i had 10 minutes but i didn't have enough time to parse it down to what i really wanted it to be um, and I, all of this after deciding, I guarantee that somebody else is going to write a question about Spider-Man. So I have to go someplace <laughs> else. Right. Oh, you know me. Yeah. So, so, so if you wanted me to workshop this question with you for a minute or two, and that's you know mm-hmm. literally the point of this whole exercise. Yeah. Take creepers out and maybe, uh, focus on illagers. Yeah. Throw a beastie boys reference in there. Yeah. That, oh, that's, that's a good idea. Yeah, I mean, the DC boys and their license to Illager or something. Yeah, the I got ca- I got caught up because I was looking at like um the actual like 
uh, update that it came in. It was named Pillagers, uh, Villagers and Pillagers. I wanted to say like a hostile version of the friendly villager, which would be a good mm-hmm. clue in itself, but then it wouldn't have spiders in it. So I'm like, okay, I could add a list of other enemies. But, you know, it, for me to add spider, you know, on its own, that just felt so forced. But yeah, I, I mean, with a little bit of workshopping and a little bit more parsing down of clues that could be too easy. Like, I mean, I it, personally, I think Enderman is well enough, well enough known on its own. And I was considering going kind of a douchey trick question and what, okay. what enemy was added to Minecraft uh, that is inspired by the Internet creepy dude Slenderman, you know, <laughs> but uh, it I works. mean, I like it. Yeah. But, you know, so, you, got, you got 10 minutes and that's what happens. Right. Exactly. Joining <laughs> joining a list that includes such standard video game villain fare as skeletons, spiders and zombies. There you go. What best selling video game has added enemies called Endermen, Guardians and no relation to the Beastie Boys, Illagers in yeah. updates over its 11 year lifespan? That <laughs> is the workshop version <laughs> that I would put the old Liquid Courage stamp of approval on, which is really just a... a, a cap from a bottle of rum that i just emptied <laughs> that's the second bc boys reference in this in this episode along with sam the butcher giving alice the meat like fred Frinsel, <laughs> the show is um, in no way connected to brooklyn <laughs> uh jason what is your question for the keyword challenge uh i did i think for the first time on this podcast put uh since episode one put the uh, keyword as the answer. So spoiler alert, the answer (laughs) is spider. But here's the question. Anderson Silva, a modern convertible, a Cronenberg film from 2002, a cooking basket on a stick, an adaptive component for playing records, an internet indexing bot, a piece of snooker equipment, a solo card game. These are just eight examples of things associated with what word and examples that my wife will not kill me for talking about. <laughs> Ooh, I know this one. <laughs> that joke will never get old. Um, Anderson Silva, uh, the Anderson, the spider Silva, of course, is one of the first routes that I went in my post Spider-Man decision. I was thinking about other Brazilian athletes um, and I was going to do kind of the same question where I would name a bunch of Brazilian athletes, including Anderson, the spider Silva and say, mm-hmm. what nation are these athletes all from? Uh, but there aren't a huge list of Brazilian athletes that would be well known to Americans besides Pele. And that's a dead giveaway. Wait, there's so, two. <laughs> um, but you oh, and, and the women's uh, beach volleyball team, let's be honest, the Rio Olympics <laughs> were delightful. <laughs> But you you went a different way with my same style of question that I was planning, where you just started mentioning things. You know, I was going to start mentioning things from Brazil, but mm. you went with things that have spider. And I think the only one that I don't know off the top of my head that would have uh, that I wouldn't have been able to put those things together. Uh, the Cronenberg film from 2002, unless my brain is just dumb. Yeah, it's it's not his best known work, but it is recent enough and also kind of gets you in the headspace of, you know, Cronenberg's known for for creepy, crawly monsters. Yeah, the, botter, the body stuff. horror stuff. Yeah. So that that should get you into a headspace if none of the other connections. And I tried to make them vague, but I also tried to make them 
something to where at least one player in the room should go, okay, I know that Fiat makes a convertible model called the Spider, for instance. I'm an MMA guy. I know Anderson Silva's nickname is the Spider. So there's a bit of team play built in. Uh, Plus, I wanted eight examples. Yeah. I wanted that to be a subtle, very, very subtle hint in there. So fun fact, you said it's a 2002 movie by David Cronenberg. Mm-hmm. Which uh, is it just called Spider? I'm not. I, I, yeah, it's I, it's literally titled Spider. Oh, okay. Because I was looking up like what other Spider movies were from that. You know, I was like Eight Legged Freaks was from around there, and that's also from 2002. I'm like, did Cronenberg direct Eight Legged Freaks with David Arquette? The answer is no. no apparently, 2002 nope. was the he year of the not. film Nopes. <laughs> so yeah, for those of you uh, at home who haven't gone through the full list, Anderson Silva we talked about is the Spider in MMA. Uh, as I mentioned, Fiat has a model modern uh, convertible called a spider Cronenberg's 2002 film is literally titled spider. If you are doing some uh, frying, especially in like Asian cuisine, uh, those narrow like wire baskets on the the long bamboo or or wood sticks are known properly as spiders. A spider is the thing that you'll stick in the middle of a, uh, a record to get it to fit the spindle. Uh, Like if you're playing a 45, for instance, uh, also known as web crawler spiders are the things that like Google uses to index the internet. Uh, the spider is almost like the bridge in American pool, but it is a little different in snooker. And then uh, spider solitaire is one of the better known variants of uh, solitaire, at least here in the States. And also when you said Fiat, I was like, wait a minute. I thought that a, a spider was a Porsche, but uh, we're both right. Because Fiat has spider with an I and Porsche has spider with a Y. Yeah, and I, I wanted to be vague, but also have that back door because I don't I couldn't tell in 10 minutes if Porsche still made the spider, but I did tell that Fiat did. So I'm like, yeah, let's just hedge the bet and call it a modern convertible. See what happens. Yeah. So, Jeremy, if people want to tell us which question they like the best, how did they do that? Head on over to quadriviapodcast.com where you can vote on the poll for your favorite keyword question of the week and as a reminder Corey didn't write one you can't <laughs> vote for him somehow he's still going to win and nobody believes me when i say it's rigged <laughs> um actually i have seen the data behind the scenes and it's not as rigged as one would think jeff segue go <laughs> speaking of um actually uh i have uh two sets of um actually questions for you two guys to parse through Ooh which uh, I, like I hope will be fun um, when I write these or should I should say when I have written these in the past, they're generally for less than 10 questions at a time. Um, so I took two five question chunks and mushed them together uh, in an interlaced answers type of way uh, to create a, a round that's half about food uh, and half about geography. We're going to start off with geography first. And well, I mean, turkey fits both halves, so it yes, seems it fair game to me. I should have written one about turkey. Um, <laughs> but uh, Greece, for... too, if you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> what you guys are going to have to do is decide if the statement is true. And if it's false, just provide me with the uh, thing that would correctly fix the statement. So I'm going to try and st- because you guys can't see the underlined aspect of it. Mm hmm. Oh, actually, you could, I could put it in the Discord, but uh, yeah, whatever. but the listeners can't. So yeah, so I will. I remember will we have listeners voice. occasionally. <laughs> I'll stress with my voice the part that's underlined, and I'll make sure to to make mention of what part would need to be fixed. So your very first sounds one. good. I'm ready, Jeremy. Are you good? I'm ready. And right, we'll tackle here. these team effort as usual. 
Yep. All right. Number one. Mecca, the holy city of the Islamic faith, is located in Saudi Arabia. And that's your underlined country, Saudi Arabia. Okay. Uh, at a quick glance, I'm almost positive that that is true, Jeremy. I'm thinking of the big, uh, like, obsidian-looking cube there Yeah. in Mecca. And I, I really, really do feel like that's in Saudi Arabia. I can't think of another country in the Middle East where that would be. So my inclination is to say this is absolutely true. Do you have uh, a thought that would put me in my damn place? Not really. I feel like it is, or it's like the UAE like somewhere yeah. in that area, but I, yeah, I that, think... that doesn't ring true to me, but yeah. I, I see your point where, you know, if it's wrong, we got to figure out what the right answer is. And I'm thinking through, it wouldn't be Iran. It wouldn't be like Syria or Jordan or Iraq or Qatar, Yemen, OAE, uh, Israel, pretty notably. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm inclined to call that true and lock in if you are. Yeah, the only other one I was possibly thinking was Jordan, but if you're ruling that out right away, then yeah, then it's definitely Saudi Arabia. You guys caught the truth right off the bat. It, it is in Saudi Arabia. Uh, it's, yeah, isn't it like the third biggest city in Saudi Arabia or something? I'm not sure of the size of the city, but it, it is it is an actual city. So a lot of people, when they think of Mecca, they think of uh, the actual great mosque itself, like you were saying, mm -hmm. with the the large stone in the center, but Mecca is the the entire city surrounding it. Uh, but yes, okay. that is true, <laughs> and it is in Saudi Arabia. All right, number two, the tallest building in North America is the Willis Tower. Willis Tower being underlined, and just I don't know how to answer this question, Jeff, and you know damn well I don't know how to answer this. question, I don't know what the Willis Tower is. Okay. There's no Excuse such thing. Me other Chicago people. The <laughs> tallest building in North America is the Sears Tower. Sausage. Uh, I and I, I thank you. Uh and uh bears. But I don't <laughs> think that that's true. Uh I think it's the CN Tower up in Toronto. And you did say North America, not the United States. I should I should clarify I'm speaking of building, not structures. Oh, okay. Well it yeah, was that's 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 going to be a clarification. I think, yeah, CN Tower, is that considered to be a structure versus a building? I guess it would be because a building, yeah. I think, in an architectural context has to have like the ability to be occupied. Mm -hmm. Does that does that jive at all? Uh, I believe that that is I believe that that is uh, the uh, clarification. The CN Tower does have an observation deck, but I'm specifically talking about buildings. Okay, so Jeremy, a little team speak here. It was for a good long time, the we're still not calling it Willis Tower. Um, One World Trade Center possibly took that, Ooh. like the the new the the uh, post nine eleven building, because I know that's like by design seventeen hundred and seventy six feet tall. Yes, I think you're right. I do feel like that is bigger. Um, I, I remember hearing something about it. I, I just knew for years, you know, being from the Chicago area, like uh, the Sears Tower is the biggest building in the world at the time. Um, and then obviously that being passed uh, by plenty of others, including one in uh, Dubai. Um, since we we're talking about the UAE earlier, uh, I don't know. I don't remember. The, I don't remember the height on it is the problem. So, I, I, you know, what, I'm inclined to say, you know, what, if, if if that's what he's talking about and the one in Toronto doesn't count, uh, mm -hmm. I would be OK going one World Trade Center. 
Yeah, I, I think it is the Freedom Tower or One World Trade Center or whatever its proper name is. I would probably lock in uh, because I want to hedge my bet as a team. I'd probably lock in Freedom Tower parentheses One World Trade Center. That That is the correct answer. Um, and Whew, okay. You were right on uh, on a second pass through. I would have probably made sure to mention right off the bat instead of uh, going in backwards that I was talking about uh, buildings, not structures. But yes, uh, 320 something feet taller than the Sears Tower, a.k.a. the Willis Tower. Is it Tower, that much taller? Else. Holy hell. Yep. And then oh, uh, fun, fun fact, uh, the Patronus Towers uh, were the ones that surpassed the Sears Tower as the tallest building mm. in like 1999 or 98, I want to say. It was like yeah, the year right. before Entrapment came out. Uh, <laughs> and then they did the the uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones butt movie. That's the, that's, that's, that's that how movie. Jeff understands the, the modern timeline, by the way, <laughs> is its relation to the Catherine Zeta-Jones butt movie. That's correct. All right, number three. The Galapagos Islands are a territory of Chile. And Chile is underlined. The Galapagos Islands. I, I'm picturing them geographically coming off the, the west coast of South America. And you said that they are, you're claiming that they're a uh, a subsidiary of Chile, you said, right? That is correct. Well, 85% of the damn western coast of South America is Chile. You've got like Peru and you've got Ecuador over there. Venezuela would be to the north. Uh, Colombia a little bit is on that western coast i think huh because now i'm confusing potentially in my head the galapagos islands and the and the easter island and i know easter island is under the protection of chile but i do think the galapagos are out that way too jeremy help me out friend uh (laughs) geography is my worst category cool by far um like u.s geography good i'm getting better with like canada I'm starting to learn some of the states in like Mexico, like to be a little bit more broad, but I do not know who owns the Galapagos Islands <laughs> or who they fall under, unfortunately. Uh, Chile would be as good a guess as any for me. My gut says true, Jeremy, unless you got a reason to tell me otherwise. Nope, I wouldn't talk you out of this one if we were sitting at the pub either, because I don't, I have no thunder on this at all. All right, let's make it true and live by the sword. It is not true. Ah. This is uh, you. Everything that you've said, including Easter Island and the countries on the coast, I believe I can't. Don't fact check me. Uh, <laughs> it is uh, oddly enough. Uh, it is perpendicular, <laughs> perpendicular to uh, the country uh, which has it as a territory, and that is Ecuador. It is pretty much straight west from Ecuador. If you just get in a boat, drive west, you might okay, find so that parallel. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Near the equator, for some reason, I assume. Yeah, actually really close to the equator. All right. Uh, All Um, right. I'll take my lump on that. Yeah. I I mean, literally everything else that you said was correct. Uh, (laughs) Except Except for for the important part part that that got me the damn point. All right. Number four. The flag of the United States of America has more stars than any other national flag. And the United States of America is underlined. So... Jeremy, this is true because I think a couple years ago I wrote a true false question about the flag of the United States of America having more stars than every other nation's flag put together. Okay. 
and it is true. Uh, Brazil is second closest with like 27, but there aren't there aren't uh, countries with more than a handful of stars on their flags total other than the U.S. for obvious reasons and then Brazil because of its neat little night sky kind of uh, southern hemisphere view. I mean, you've got like Australia and New Zealand, which have uh, the Southern Cross on them, I think. New Zealand's yeah. definitely does. I think Australia's does too. But I think those are like the third longest. So again, I believe that this is true. Yeah, I, I my initial thought would be as well because again, vexillology, not my uh, biggest strong point, but I've seen enough uh, flags to not think of any that have a ton of stars besides ours. All right, so we'll lock in. Locked in with true, and that is a true statement. And everything else, just like the last question you said was correct, Brazil is second uh, with its multiple con- constellations. It has 27. Um, mm-hmm. I, I believe that there might be a non-national flag that has more stars, but I have zero thunder on that, and I didn't look it up. Uh, but okay. I, if I remember correctly, there might be like a um, like a union flag of some sort or some like uh, agreement a, a between state or province flag, yeah, something like that. Like the like kind of think like the EU, but with way more stars. But that's okay. you know that's neither here nor there. All right, moving on. Next, um, actually, the largest desert in the world is the Sahara. Of course, the Sahara being the underlined part. Ooh, I I got feelings on this one, man. And this is more a conversation for Jeff than it is Jeremy. Jeremy, you can sit back on this one. So, um, actually, yeah, I just want to clarify that you're using the definition of desert that I think you're using, which is an area with near to none uh, annual precipitation. Is that the definition you are using for desert? That is the definition of desert. Oh, yeah. Then... Okay. Well, it, again, I know you're a smart guy. But I know a lot of people get this wrong. So with that said, this is wrong. Antarctica is by a continental mile the largest desert in the world because it's cold as hell there. The very, very little snow that it gets just never melts over the millennia. And that's the reason there's snow and ice in Antarctica. That is true. Antarctica is, by definition, the largest desert because desert, of course, doesn't mean hot. It means sometimes cold as well. The Gobi Desert, also another cold desert, just mm-hmm. no precipitation. Um, but yeah, Antarctica is by far and away the largest desert in the world. Yeah, I feel like some trivia host somewhere has gotten into trouble for using the the the, the true fact that the Sahara is the largest hot desert in the world, yeah. uh, but forgetting to put the hot on there. And it probably got him into trouble. So aspiring trivia writers out there, make sure you're using definitions that fit uh, the answers that you want. And you didn't do anything wrong on this, Jeff. I just wanted to make abundantly clear that you weren't restricting a desert to somewhere with like hot sand and not cold, not sand. I was not. During, I I was going to, I was just going to say during when I asked that one live, I did have teams come up to me and ask if I was talking about hot deserts. I said, hot isn't in the word. Or it's not in the question. So, you know, like, wink, wink. I know okay. we're on the same yeah. path here. And and if that were me, I'd probably, you know, just clarify, hey, uh, a- answer the question as it is currently worded. Yep, exactly. Because that way you don't give a tip off that there is a, a word in there that the actual definition of makes all the difference in the world. I, yep. I think I asked um, a very similar question to this at one of my shows, actually, and it was, the largest desert in the world can be found on what continent? <laughs> Sneaky. 
Love it. Uh, it reminds me of a question I did a little while ago where I had a bunch of teams come up to me and clarify stuff. And it basically asked, um, it was multiple choice as we're talking about question types today. And it was, uh, which of these numbers is the highest? The number of World Series championships the Cleveland Indians have won, the number of NBA Finals series that the Cleveland Cavaliers have won, or the number of Super Bowls that the Cleveland Browns have won. And I had no fewer than five teams all week come up to me and whisper, hey, you know the Cleveland Browns won NFL championships before the Super Bowl era, right? And all I could say is, answer the question as written. Yeah, does it say because NFL? That, that was the hook. That NFL was the conceit. <laughs> or it was the other way around where I said the number of league championships the, the Cleveland Browns have written or something, but yeah, I yeah, didn't yeah. say Super Bowl. It was I wrote it one way or the other, and the, the, the sports pedants wanted to make sure that I sourced this correctly, and I very much did. That was the crux of the question, but I couldn't tip that off, you know? <laughs> All right. Anyway, those are my questions. Let's hear yours. Let's move on to our food portion of Um Actually. There you go. So, you useful for this one there, Jeremy? Well, I guess we'll see what the question is, but maybe. I mean, All right. you, you work in restaurants. <laughs> I worked in restaurants, yes. All right. The first one, the Cajun Holy Trinity of vegetables is onions, celery, and carrots. And carrots is underlined. This dead air brought to you by Jeremy not instantly answering the question. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think of what, what's in Cajun cu- uh, cuisine and... I have a thought on this, if you don't. I was... What were the other two you named again? Uh, the first two in the Holy Trinity are onions and celery, and carrots is the one in question. There's definitely carrots, but there's also peppers a lot, too. See, that's not where my head would go. My head would go okra. Oh. That feels oh. so definitionally Cajun to me. Like okra is is like the primary well-known ingredient in like gumbo. You're right. So it feels it feels like a holy food. Uh, and again, I mean, I'll defer to you on this one because you have the, the foodie experience more than I do. But that's that's where my headspace is at. Unfortunately, never worked in a Cajun restaurant, only been to them a couple times. So I, I'm OK going okra. All right. Why, why the hell not? Is it okra? It's not. It's not okra. Oh. And it's not carrots either. Oh, OK. Uh, Jeremy did say the correct answer. It is uh, bell it's peppers. peppers, bell peppers, yep. peppers. Okay. So, I mean, that doesn't feel wrong. It just felt like okra was more yeah. specific, you know? Well, okra is definitely a big part of, uh, it's a big part of a lot of Cajun dishes. Uh, but the Cajun Holy Trinity is the, the Cajun version of the French mirepoix, which is the, uh, the stock base of onion, celery, and carrots. Oh, and so okay. Their version is onion, celery, and bell peppers, which they use as the starter base for a lot of their uh, dishes, like gumbo or anything like uh, etouffee, any of the ones that are very uh, like a stew or a stock or right. You know, like no, that. that makes that makes a lot of sense the way you phrase that there. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Next up, the Italian dessert tiramisu contains a layer of biscotti soaked in espresso and biscotti is underlined um so. it's it's lady fingers yeah okay sure on that see that that's where i was at i'm like i feel like that's wrong but i can't pull the name of the 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 true fact so i was gonna let you uh it's, step it's, in it's, and then take that one but that yeah, sounds it's espresso right espresso soaked lady fingers i i absolutely am inclined to agree with you on that 
that is absolutely correct. It is Ladyfingers, not Biscotti. Bis- I used Biscotti uh, just because of its... In America, we dunk them in coffee quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Italy, they dip them in Vinsanto, which is the, the dessert wine. Oh, okay. But it, it is also another another cookie that is often associated with liquid. So I figured that might throw a throw a speed bump down in front of players. But you're right. It is Ladyfingers, not Biscotti. Um, hey, good next, work, Jeremy. See, I know my food. <laughs> next up, uh, quickly cooking food in boiling water and then dunking it in ice water is a cooking pro- process known as poaching. Yeah, that's that's not poaching, though. I'm trying to remember the, the term for it. Blanching. 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 There it is. Yep. That is your correct answer. Poaching is the first half. Blanching is all of it. Uh, you poach, of course, by putting the food into boiling water, like poached egg. Uh, mm-hmm. But stopping the cooking process by taking out of the hot water and putting in ice water is known as poaching. You could use that to take blanching, the skins, yeah. or I'm sorry, yes, blanching. Uh, you could use that to like take the skins off of fruit, or you could use it to uh, stop the cooking process and start it again later. It's a bunch of fun things you could do, but blanching is your right answer on that one. A lot of time in uh, restaurants, um, you'll do um, onions, carrots, and celery. Actually, uh, if you're using it as a vegetable base, you will blanch them. And so you'll start boiling them and then you will immediately put them in like ice water on ice uh, and it makes them really crisp. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you do it with like green beans too, especially if you're going to then uh, pan saute them with some kind of flavor. You want to blanch them first so they get their crispness and, and they green up nice and beautifully. Exactly correct. All right, next up. Uh the proper garnish for a Gibson cocktail is a pickled onion. And pickled onion would be the underlined section of that question. Or statement, uh, it's, rather. It's pickled onion, the, the whole phrase that's underlined? Yes, pickled onion. All right. So, Jeremy, I know for fact that the garnish for a Gibson, it's the difference between a Gibson and a Gimlet is the garnish. Gimlet is an olive. I've always heard the term for a Gibson to be a pearl onion. I have never heard either way whether or not it has to be pickled. I just I, know that it is a small pearl onion. Yeah, I think it is pickled. Um, I th- I feel like I've heard this before. I'm not 100 percent certain, but I believe that's what they do with the pearl onions. They like put them in like a vinegar, like pickling juice, basically, and okay. then they take them out. I could so be wrong. I have, yeah, I have no thunder on this. I've only ever heard the garnish being called a pearl onion. And not a pearled, as in like a cooking style onion, right. P-E-A-R-L, like a pearl-sized onion. So I don't know if it's pickled or not, and that's really bothering me on this one as a, as a <laughs> um, player. Yeah, and I the, again, I, I just inclined to say true because you're right. I, I've heard pearl onion as well, but I know they usually keep them in like a jar behind the bar, and then they stick a toothpick or something through them. Yeah, let's let's do some some metagaming here. He underlined the whole thing, pickled onion. I feel like if it was actually pearl onion and it's not pickled he would just underline pickled so based on that and because i don't think he wants the hate mail uh <laughs> on the whole phrase i think he would have written this to be true are you good with that is yeah, that what you're locking in with yeah i think are we're you, locking in with true are you sure no not at all <laughs> just tell us no, we're I'm, wrong I'm and move on you, i'm giving you a hard time that is true okay um, it, it was a conscious decision to keep the pickled part uh underlined because uh, if I didn't put uh, pickled in the underlying part, uh, people might, uh, it's not the first thing that you think of uh, as a pickled vegetable of some sort. Usually people right. think of like pickles <laughs> instead of that. Um, 
But yeah, funny I, how that works. Yeah, I, I I wanted the process to go exactly like it did in your head, where okay. you know that the Gibson, the difference is in the onion instead of the olive. Um, and so that alone would be enough to hopefully push you into answering true if you knew that a Gibson had an uh, had an onion in it instead of an olive. Um, the fact that it's pickled, you know, they're pickled pearl onions. So, I mean, again, okay. Oof, everything you said was correct. Um, I just didn't want people to try and think of uh, other pickled fruit or anything. I just wanted people to, I didn't want to just put onion because that's not technically correct. You right. Know, but, you know. I mean, it is. It's just not yeah, super it's not, correct. It's not as correct as it needs to be. Yeah. Especially for a roundabout correcting things, for sure. Right. All right. And last up, last question of the game. Uh, Marzipan, which is my nickname for Marcy. Hello, Marcy. Aww. Um, is a sweet confection made from ground up walnuts. And walnuts. I was going to say walnuts is is underlined there, I assume. So, mm-hmm. Jeremy, I had a I had a language arts teacher in seventh and eighth grade that was weirdly fanatical about the concept of marzipan. It's the only reason that childhood me even knew what marzipan was. And I'm pretty sure that it's almond paste, not uh, walnut paste. No, it is almond paste that okay. I know for a fact. So, so thank you, um, Madison actually, School District, to uh, um actually this one. Yep, that that is correct. And, and I should say, uh, if given another go around at this, I I should have added traditionally made from ground up uh, walnuts. Uh, it is made from almonds. Uh, but because walnuts and almonds can both be made into the ground up uh, powder that you need to mix uh, with the other ingredients in order to make marzipan, you can technically make marzipan from walnuts. But that's not if you look up marzipan recipe, it's not going to call for walnuts at all. That's yeah, I mean, you can technically make marzipan from anything for sufficiently wide definitions of marzipan. Yeah, exactly. But when I'm talking about the actual uh recipe of it that's why i should have i should have added uh traditional or uh the recipe for making blank you know something something extra just to make sure but you are correct it is it is made from almonds uh and the fun part what i always liked about marzipan and i was introduced to it at a very young age one of my classmates in grade school was from a very german family and and his mother would make marzipan treats and shape them into little vegetables so he could quote unquote eat his vegetables. Um, and he would bring those in every now and then to kind of show, you know, Oh, look at these little candies. They look like little carrots. Like show and tell. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. And so I was like, Ooh, that's fun. So I, I had, I had known about that at a very young age for, uh, uh, not being introduced to that in, in another way. Yeah. But there, there, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed the, the, um, actually questions and, it's fun to see the it's fun to see or I should say it's fun to be uh, a fly on the wall as you guys talk through the <laughs> stuff, because uh, I like hearing my own thought process on which ones I swap out the wrong answers for. Like, how am I going to get these guys caught up or what what right. little notes of this are going to are they going to catch? Yeah. Uh, as somebody who regularly writes true false questions, changing like one word very subtly, it, it there's an art form to it. I had one uh, a couple weeks ago, and I think this will be it for the shop talk portion of the night as I look <laughs> at the time, uh, where I said something like, uh, Toronto, the capital of, of Canada, is the you know largest city in Canada, but it's only the 35th largest city in, in the Northern Hemisphere or, or something, or the North America. <laughs> and at a quick glance, you're like, oh, God, that that 
all of that tracks. I think this is true. And then I go, aha, I called it the capital of Canada and there's an Ottawa for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I played in that show. I don't want to talk. Yeah, about you it. did. <laughs> I'll talk <laughs> about it for it you. Well, you know, we, we can talk about it. We can give you crap about it after the show, which I think has come to its natural. And uh, Jeremy hit us with plugs and we can get the heck on out of here. All right. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at QuadriviaPod, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash QuadriviaPod, at QuadriviaPodcast.com, again, where you can go and vote on this week's keyword challenge. And you can send us an email, like Addie did earlier, at QuadriviaPod at gmail.com. With that said for the show... Um, I am Jeremy with Liquid Courage in Chicago. You can find me on Twitter at JerWG or on Twitch at twitch.tv slash LKJeremy. Uh, I've been Jeff with RMT Trivia, as in Riddle Me This. Uh, you can find me at most of the social places just by searching RMT. I stream on Twitch at twitch.tv slash RMT Trivia. And I'm Jason, also with Liquid Courage Entertainment. You can find me uh, during the 30-second porn music keyword challenge break in every episode of Quadrivia, whether or not I'm on it. Uh, but in real time, you can catch me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash liquid underscore courage. And courage, much to the chagrin of a player in my game yesterday, is always spelled with a K. I'm looking over our uh, title possibilities, and I just want to end this episode by restating the Catherine Zeta-Jones butt movie. <laughs> Bye! Bye, everybody. You know, it was the Big Bang Theory. I think I just spotted the connection here. Hold on. Yeah, he goes through uh, Raj in an episode of Big Bang Theory, goes through all the alliterative uh, Stan Lee characters. Bruce Banner, oh, okay. Reed Richards, Sue Storm, Stephen Strange, Otto Octavius, Silver Surfer, Peter Parker, <laughs> J. Jonah Jameson, Dum Dum Dugan, Green Goblin, Daredevil, Matt Murdock, too, for, for the double dose, uh, Pepper <laughs> Potts, Doctor Doom. Millie the Model, Fantastic Four, Invincible Iron Man, Happy Hogan, Kurt Connors the Lizard, Finn Fang Foom. He does a whole thing about it. And <laughs> nobody cared about that. That's terrible audio, but I feel better. <laughs> <laughs>